And then we started hiring, reviewing, and firing based on core values. And that's when our company really started to change for the better. Welcome to the Next Level Leader Podcast, where I want to help you escape average and lead at the next level. There's more in you, and it's time that you learn to lead at your full potential. So join me on this next level journey as we learn to escape average one day at a time. It's time to grow to the next level. The world is waiting. All right, welcome back to the Next Level Leader Podcast. Jeff Cochran here, and I'm so glad that you joined us today. Um, I'm pumped about the interview that we have today. Um, we're gonna hear from Ken Bodie, the president and CEO of Kelsan, uh, the president of Keller Group, uh, a leader who gets culture, gets leadership. And I know I've learned a ton from Ken in limited interactions. And I believe this conversation is going to, it's really going to sharpen all of us as we learn together. So Ken, thank you so much for joining us on the Next Level Leader podcast. Oh, Jeff, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are uh, and kind of what you do in your leadership role? Sure. So as you said, introduce me. I'm president and CEO of Kelsan. Kelsan is a janitorial sanitary supply distributor. We also sell shipping supplies. It's a fourth generation family owned business. I'm not family. I've just been with the family for 36 years. So I feel like family, <laughs> but uh, founded in 1950. And the fourth generation now works for Kelson as a salesperson in our Nashville office and is doing a great job. Wow. The third generation is my current boss. Uh, he's six years younger than me, than me, but he's a lot smarter than I am. And then his father is chairman of the board. And then the founder passed away in the early 2000s. So uh, in terms of myself, I pretty much uh, lived in Knoxville most of my life, attended the University of Tennessee with a degree in marketing. And like I said, I joined the Keller family of companies in 1985, October, actually, this month of 85. Wow. So it's not really just a leadership position that you have. And that's a big role that you have as president and CEO. You're overseeing a lot of different people, a lot of teams, a lot of moving parts, but you also have this, this piece of a legacy of a company that's been around for a long time of taking it in the fourth generation. How does that, uh, just out of curiosity, how does that idea of legacy, this legacy that you're carrying of a company that's been going for so long, how does that affect your leadership as president and CEO? You know, um, I read somewhere a few months ago that less than 3% of all companies make it to the fourth generation. So I feel uh, blessed <laughs> to be part of it. I also feel a little bit of pressure to keep it going <laughs> until I retire. So I've got a few more years, but uh, uh, it, it's, it's been a great family to work for. And, and it's really helped shape our culture. We're, we talk about in our core values, uh, teamwork and family first, and we really mean it. Mm. Well, that's big. Well, man, I, I can see, Ken, the, both the, the tension that you hold there. It is a blessing to be a part of something that most leaders don't get to be a part of. Most companies don't last that long. Uh, but I can also see the pressure where that would come from. I, I'm living with the pressure of a first-generation business, you know, talking to my sons today, talking about what they're going to do and, uh, you know, going into business for myself in January full-time and not part-time. I can see the pressure just from that side. Um, well, man, I'm glad that you brought up culture because I think culture is one of the things I wanted to lean in on today. I heard you speak about culture at Impact Knoxville, um, a leadership conference earlier in the year. 
um, and here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And when you talked about culture, I remember saying this guy gets culture. Okay. And culture is a hard thing for a lot of leaders to get their hands around, to really get their minds wrapped around. And you've already talked about your culture in just the first few minutes of this conversation. You talked about your culture, you talked about your core values. So why don't you tell us and explain to us when you think about culture in a company and a leadership culture, what does culture mean to you? Well, it means everything. And as the leader, if I don't live it and breathe it every single day, it dies or it's not believed. And so uh, there's a, a management system called the Rockefeller Habits. And it's probably the best display of culture and core values in my mind are one and the same. And your core values cultivate your culture. Uh, but Rockefeller Habits has a pyramid of business. And at the foundation of the pyramid, core values are the base. And so you can't really run a successful, well, you can run a successful business without core values, but it's not near as much fun. And you probably have higher employee turnover and you're probably uh, dealing with employee issues a lot more than you should be. So Kelsan has an interesting story of how we even got to our core values. As, as I told you, we were founded in 1950. And I would tell you our core values didn't really evolve until the early 2000s. Wow. And that was a process, a process to not from the moment that you had core values, but they've continued to evolve and they drive everything you do at Kelsan. So when you discovered um, really that whole idea that you're talking about from the Rockefellers, when you discovered that and you discovered, hey, there's a need for us to double down on culture. Um, tell us kind of what caused that, what caused you to begin thinking in terms of culture and how did you build the culture that you have at Kelsan today? That's a, that's a really great question. I'll try not to ramble on too long. My, my wife says, if you bring up core values with me, you better be ready for a long conversation. But really, uh, I would give you Kelsan's story of our core value uh, journey. And uh, it's, it's a journey. Yeah, I don't think you ever totally arrive. You're always evolving. But we and uh, I joined Kelsan. I joined the Keller family in 85. I was with another operating company. I joined Kelsan in 95. And we began to do strategic planning. We implemented the Rockefeller habits and we started to acquire companies. And so we made significant acquisitions in 99, 2000, 2001. And we basically in about a four year period, we tripled the size of the company and we also more than doubled the number of employees. And so we were doing very well financially. Uh, but it's like I woke up one day and realized that we had a bunch of jerks. Um, that were in, in the organization. And I realized it was my fault, our fault, because we had meshed the cultures from all these different companies into one. And we didn't really have a clear direction of, you know, wh what should we be doing? Where should we be going with this company? And so we started to actually have some employees that were disgruntled and we, we thought we needed diversity training. So we hired a lady named Tony Duvall and she was awesome. She came in and she met with each department uh, without management. And she came back and said, you don't need diversity training. You need to define what your core values are. You know, who, you know what's Kelsen all about? Who are you? And so we ended up hiring her to do that. She took every department offsite and uh, for a half day exercise. And the last department she took, took offsite was the management team. But it was really interesting at the end of the day when she came back with what was important in terms of how employees wanted to be treated at work and how employees wanted to treat our customers we had six things that were in common. You know, some of the list had 10 or 15 things on, but these all six were there and they were praise, 
respect, responsibility, equality, communication, and honesty. And I remember those because we did, we came up with the acronym PREACH. And she helped us define, you know, what does praise really mean? You can say, oh, everybody knows what praise means, but praise has to be genuine, or it actually does worse to have ingenuine praise than what you, what you wanted to do. And so we started this process of, we did core value surveys with our employees. Uh, every six months, it was an anonymous survey. We used the Olympic gold, the Olympic medal system, gold, silver, or bronze, and we had comment sections on each core value, and they were anonymous. And I got to tell you, uh, the first few hurt. Uh, when the scores came back lower than we wanted, and some of the comments were hurtful, but they all made us a better company. And then we started hiring, reviewing, and firing based on core values. And that's when our company really started to change for the better. Uh, so we were popping along, we thought we had our core values figured out, the PREACH acronym, we were doing the, the employee surveys anonymously every six months. And we actually went to Rockefeller Habits training in New York, the management team did, there were seven of us went. And Vern Harnish, the author of the, author of the book, Rockefeller Habits, he taught the class. And because core values are the foundation of Rockefeller Habits, the first exercise that, there were several companies in the room sitting at round tables, uh, probably six, seven other companies. And he was taking every company through their own uh, process of how you divide, define your core values. And we, of course, bowed our chest up and we said, we've got ours. And he goes, oh, really? Let me see. And he came over and we showed him what we had. And he says, well, you have half of your core values. You have how you behave, but you're missing the most important part is who you are. We thought that's interesting. So I'll never forget this. He took us through the exercise. It's so simple. I've done it with Sunday school classes. You can do it with friends. It, the exercise is very simple. He said, everyone take out a blank piece of paper and write down the names. If cloning were ethical and existed and morally you know, legal and all that good stuff, write down the names of everyone you currently work with in your company that you would clone if you could. And he joked, he says, be careful. Uh, you might want to use initials because if they're sitting next to you and you don't write their name down, their feelings may be hurt. So we did that. Then he came back and he says, write down the characteristics that these people possess that would make you want to clone them. And it was uncanny. It came back with the who we are. And it came back with uh, awesome, the, the final piece of our core values, which have since evolved and meshed into one. But basically our core values stand today is Number one is love. We want our employees and our customers to love to work with us. And number two is we wanna work with people who are accountable. They do what they say they're gonna do. They follow up before the sun sets, even if they don't have an answer. When we, we said we wanna work with people that are positive, we said life's too short to not have a positive attitude, works hard enough. And then we said we wanna work with people who have the desire to be better, that are always looking to improve, and then our final, final one was teamwork and family first. And I can tell you, we, when we meshed all these together and we began really hiring, firing, reviewing and rewarding based on core values, our company changed for the better. And now we literally, we uh, will hire a character trained to skill. It's more important that an employee is a core values fit than it is that they have the skill to get the job done. Wow. You know, I was sitting, Ken, with a, a group of business leaders, just a roundtable of business leaders this morning. That was one of the things we talked about. We were talking about how many people are leaving um, right now. The, the employee turnover rate is just ridiculous. And, you know, it's it's got a name. People are calling it the great resignation. And, of course, that topic's coming up 
with any group of leaders that I'm with. And But in this morning's conversation, it was one of the things that I shared was I said, well, think about what we do. We lose someone we didn't want to lose. And what's our response? We have to hire fast. We get panicked, especially in today's market. So we turn to Indeed or something like that and say, give us the quickest resumes you have. But what is, we're using job descriptions and resumes. And a job description is really just the set of skills you're going to need to do a job well, right? And a resume is uh, basically a person saying, hey, here's my skills profile that I want to give you. The problem is, just like you said, we can teach skills, but we can't teach culture. And, And I shared with these business leaders this morning that every time you bring someone on who doesn't fit your culture, they're actually transforming your culture. They're just transforming it and changing it in a negative way. So when you're thinking about hiring and firing based on culture and teaching skills, how difficult was that to step into? Because the natural kind of way that leaders work is we go off productivity, we go off of skills, and if things aren't up into the right quick, you're gone, right? If you are, we'll keep you even if you're a jerk. That's kind of the normal way to go. How how did you go about making that transition of culture first, hiring and firing off culture, but then also how difficult was it to make that transition in thinking and leading? See, that's a really good question. So as I told you, we we had the epiphany of our final core values in early 2000s when we attended the Rockefeller Habits training class. And I came back, uh, to me, it was just such a life-changing moment. I realized that as a manager, I'd been managing out of fear for years. And what I mean by that is out of fear of numbers. And so if we had a great salesperson that wrote several million dollars a year, but they were a jerk to customer service when they called in or or to our accounts receivable department, but you would look the other way because they wrote big numbers, right? They were the salesperson. And when we had this epiphany, I came back from that meeting. I, I sat down with every single employee and I said, hey, Jeff, look, here are our core values. This is what we've evolved into. This is who we are. This is who we're going to be. We're going to hire this. We're going to reward this. We're going to fire this. And so if you're on board, great. If you're not on board, tell me now. I'll help you find another job. And I had several people would say, are are you wanting me to quit? Are you firing me? And I was like, no, I'm just telling you today's the day. We're drawing a line in the sand. Moving forward, we're going to live these core values. This is going to be our culture. This is the place we're going to work. And so we had people leave. We had uh, several people leave. But the company got better because those people were poisoning others. And then others were disgruntled because we were putting up with jerks and letting them stay in the business. And the second that the jerks left or we got rid of the jerks, everyone's attitude got better. And it just it's exponential. Once you start hiring and recruiting that way, there's an old saying that misery loves company. That's not true. Miserable people love miserable company. And so if you don't have miserable people in your company, there's no one to flock with and people will leave on their own. I mean, our hiring process isn't perfect, but I I get criticized. It is very hard to get a job at Kelsan. We we do several things. Number one, we pre-screen with predictive index. And that's kind of a fit for the position. Has nothing to do with their uh, their character. It's a fit for position. That's the first thing we do. Second, we do a cognitive test. There's an old saying that John Wayne gets credit for it. I'm not sure that he came up with it really, but his saying was life's hard. It's really hard when you're stupid. So we try our our best not to hire stupid people. And then once they pass that, the hiring manager meets with the individual, explains the role, explains the job, explains the company. 
And then if, the, if there's still mutual interest, we do a panel interview with at least four people. And then I'm the final interview, which I'm the core values interview. And what we don't tell the candidate along the process when they're filling out their application, there's an optional question on core values. They don't have to fill it out. It clearly says optional, big and bold on purpose. But if they don't fill out the optional core values, that ends the interview process. We just, we don't even bring them in for an interview. So that's how we're living it now. It's part of our, we do quarterly employee evaluations. Core values is one of the measurements that you have to discuss. Are you living them with, give examples of why. And it's just, it's made our company such a much better place to work. And I'm really proud during COVID, uh, we didn't lose one single employee. We didn't lay off one single employee. Wow. Fortunately, we were deemed essential. Uh, we were selling hand soaps and sanitizers and gloves and face masks and all the PPE equipment that people needed during COVID. But I can tell you, uh, I, I've been reading these articles about the great resignation and knock on wood, we haven't had that. We haven't experienced that. And our turnover is something that one of our key KPIs that we measure. And so it's just part of, are we, are we living our purpose of we want our customers, employees to love to work with us? Yeah. If people know you care about them, they know you care about them more than just the bottom line, they will stay with you rather than just move into the next higher pay or the next shiny option. And I think Kelsan is a great example of that. Ken, I haven't talked to a single leader who has said what you've just said. And I'm talking to leaders nationally and some internationally. Everybody I've talked to over the past 15 months, it's been turnover. That's been their concern. That's been their thing. I've recently worked with a team, came on after they had lost about 23% in a quarter of their employees, right? This is unheard of to not only not lose someone during COVID, but to say, hey, we're not experiencing that turnover rate. Um, but it's also... It's just as unheard of to find companies that know their culture, that live into their culture and value it that way. When you talk about those quarterly evaluations on culture, are those just done from the manager to, um, to the employee, to the team member, or are those done kind of 360 where the people who work with them actually get insight into it? Yeah, very good question. So our employee review process on a quarterly basis is backwards than most companies. The employee does a self-evaluation and sends it to their supervisor. And then the supervisor makes comments and then they sit down and meet together to make sure they're on the same page. So we view quarterly evaluations as a chance for the employee to reflect, okay, on the last 90 days, did I live the core values? Did I hit my objectives for the, my, we call them rocks or priorities for the quarter? Or did I hit my numbers? Or did I do what I said I was gonna do? And uh, we even have a part of the process that's called get it, want it, and have the capacity. They have to say, do they get the job? Do they want the job? Do they feel like they have the capacity? Um, and so that fosters unbelievable conversation. When you sit down, it's very rare that uh, we're not exactly on the same page. But when you're not, what a great time to call timeout. Hey, wait a minute, <laughs> Jeff, you think you did great the last nine days. I've got three or four examples where you were a core values train wreck. <laughs> So let's talk about those, right? So, so um, our, ours are a little backwards in most companies. It's not about the supervisor telling the employee how they think they did. We want the employee to tell us how they think they did. And then hopefully we're on the same page and agree. Wow, I love that. When you're thinking about everything that you know about culture beyond just Kelsey, and if you're talking to a leader that says, Ken, I want to develop a healthy culture like that, 
um, at the place where I lead, the place where I work, the, the business that I own, what would you say when you think about culture in a vacuum, what makes a healthy culture? What are the key ingredients that have to be in place for a healthy and sustainable culture? Yeah. One of the things that we put in place, I told you that we would do the anonymous core value survey. That was a big part of it. But we have since moved on to, and I've actually got a copy. We do a, a once a year now, uh, annual employee survey that each employee, and it's anonymous, but there's 12 questions. And these 12 questions were actually developed. They're part of a book, uh, First Break All the Rules. And these 12 questions were developed by the Gallup organization. And supposedly these are tried and true tested questions about employee engagement, 12 questions you should ask to see if they're truly engaged. And we started officially doing this in 2018. So we, we do a uh, every question they can rate one to five, one being the worst score, five being the highest and uh, of, of all 12 questions. And for the fourth year in a row, our overall score has increased, has gotten better, even through the COVID year, which we were really nervous. We were nervous about the annual survey through the COVID year. Um, so that's one way you can gauge if you're truly living your culture, you've got to get feedback from your employees. And the other would be is we do a customer survey. And with every time a customer logs into our website, they have to be a customer with a username and password, or every time a customer places an order, or every time we ship an invoice, we send an electronic link for them to answer a simple survey question. And it's basically, there's five, they can click, it's just, it's one click and one comment box. And they click on how satisfied they are doing business with us. They, they're either very unsatisfied, unsatisfied, neutral, satisfied, or very satisfied. And then there's a comment box. And those surveys get emailed to me. And I get the joy of every day answering those. And so I can tell you, just like our employee surveys have improved every year, and we do the same five-point rating scale, uh, I don't mind sharing with you. I'm proud of this. Kelsen's score, this overall score this past year was a 4.38 on the 12 employee questions. Um, and we had 106 of the 130 employees take the survey. I'm told by the Gallup organization, if you get above 60% participation in an employee survey, that's outstanding. We, we have 83% participation, so I'm very proud of that. And then on our customer surveys, our average score is 4.87. So it tells me that we're living our first core value of love that our customers and employees love to work with us. So if you're going to put in a culture, you have to validate it. You have to, it gives you feedback you need to see where you're doing well and where you're not doing well. Yeah. Well, I love the connection between those two. Because I'm always telling business leaders, hey, if you will make sure that you have a healthy culture and that your employees love coming to work, then your customers will actually love shopping with you. Your customers will love being a part of what's going on. But if your employees don't want to be there, your customers aren't going to want to be a part of what you're doing either. So I think that connection is massive. I, you know, I've been a part of some teams where there were employee engagement surveys, but you were required to take them. So they were anonymous, but there was this pressure. Everybody had to take them or you'd lose a vacation day. Everybody had to take them or you're trying to figure out who didn't miss it. And I noticed in those, uh, in, in those kind of scenarios, the culture tends to be rated much better, even though the turnover rate is high. And at the end of the day, the greatest measurement we have for our culture 
is turnover rate. Why do you think it has a negative impact on those engagement surveys if you're making people take them versus if you're giving them the option? Because you should be proud. But I know one of the things that you said you're proud of, and there's so much that you should be proud of as, an, as a CEO because you're doing so well, but you said we had like 83% of our people take this optionally. Why do you think it's so negative and it shifts negative when you make people take it versus you give them the option? Well, I think when you make people take it, what you're really saying is I don't think we have the culture that people want to participate and be part of, of cultivating the culture. Because you realize core values, it's not just me talking it or it's every single person. We have other uh, initiatives. We have one called Caught in the Act where employees can catch each other in the act going above and beyond for a customer. And a customer could be a coworker or an actual Kelsen customer. And when those people are caught in the act, uh, their, their name goes into a drawing for once a month to win an extra day off with pay. And it's not about the extra day off, it's about being caught. And when these customer surveys come in and they mention a driver by name or a customer service person by name or a salesperson by name or an accounts payable clerk by name, they're caught in the act immediately. And I let the customer know it. When I reply back to the customer survey, I tell them, thank you so much. Uh, you've just caught Jeff in the act of loving one of our customers. He'll go into a monthly drawing to win a day off of pay. And you wouldn't believe the replies I get back from customers. They're like, that's great you all do that, that you recognize your people. So to answer your original question, if you're forcing someone to give you feedback, that's not the culture we want. We want them to want to give us feedback. That is so good. I love the way that you're responding to those customers because really in a way, when you say, hey, you just caught Jeff in the act of doing this, he's getting a day off or getting entered into a drawing for a day off with pay. What you're doing is you're actually rubbing off a good culture from Kelsey and to your customers. You're letting them know there's a better way. I absolutely love that, Ken. Um, so we're talking about, you know, we, we talked before the interview started a little bit about the great resignation, about the turnover rate. Almost every conversation I'm having with leaders right now is about the turnover rate. And one of the things I do as a consultant is I guarantee that within 12 to 18 months, 12 to 24 months, that we can completely overhaul, completely lower that, that turnover rate, make a huge difference. But the reason why I guarantee it with money on the line is because I know it's as simple as coming in and identifying the culture areas that are causing it, right? That we can start moving in a forward direction. So let's talk about being caught in the act, okay? When you catch a good culture in the act, what did you find? Oh, typically, um, good grief. I've had customers talk about our delivery drivers, that it was pouring rain and they uh, didn't have an umbrella and didn't matter. They, still, they were covering up the product with their coat as they were wheeling it into the customer's location and getting themselves soaked without their raincoat to protect the product. Uh, I've had customers, uh, numerous customers mentioned that their salesperson goes out of the way, will stop whatever they're doing to help them with a problem. Um, when, when you have customer service people mentioned, uh, even our accounts receivable, the people that are calling to collect the bill, when a customer mentions them in a positive light, that's when you know you've, you've got something good going on. So, I mean, I could just go on and on. What I love about the surveys is, and I'm selfish, they come to me, I get to answer them. Now, are they all great? No, of course not. But what I also love when, it, when it's not a positive survey, the customer's really saying, hey, we like you guys. You messed up. They're giving us a chance to improve because if they're really that upset, they would not even respond. They would just quit. 
And so those are always great because I can respond to the customer. I understand I'd be disappointed as well if this happened to me. Here's what we're doing about it. We'll be back with you before the sun sets. And then you got them. They love it because you're sincere and you do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, that is big. When you see other leaders and other companies that don't have a great culture. And once you've been around a healthy culture, it's really easy to spot it in other places. Now, of course, you're not going to share that with people. You're not going to tell other leaders what you see. But when you look at just the, the landscape of people leaving uh, companies, the landscape of unhealthy cultures, wh- where are the biggest places we're missing it as leaders when it comes to creating a healthy culture? Yeah. Well, so, you know, I'm old school. I've been, like I said, <laughs> I just turned 60 and I've been with this uh, family of businesses for 36 years this month, but I, it just cultures everything. And if you're not engaging your employees and letting them know that you care and you want to give them a place that they love to come to work, uh, I, I don't know what else is there. That That's, if you get the culture right, everything else is easy. I always tell I tell our customers and I tell our employees this, if you love to come to work every day, and if our customers love to work with us, man, everything else is easy. We can solve any problem together. But if you're miserable or I'm miserable or the customer's miserable, that's not going to be a very long relationship. So something's got to give in that scenario. So in terms of if I were talking to a young leader today that's getting started, I would just say this, I, I learned the hard way. I had uh, I had a boss years ago, and I can remember saying that if I ever became president, I would do opposite of what this individual did. And I really thank him every day because I think he made me a better leader because he would scream and yell and rant and rave and no idea was a good idea unless it was his idea. And uh, working under that, anyone can do it for a while, but not many people can do it for very long. And it's not good for your health. It's not good. You take it home with you. It's not good for your family life. So I would say if I were a young leader starting out, I would look at my culture first. What's important? You know, I'd go through that simple exercise of who would we clone if it, if it existed and were legal and ethical. And I would start from there. That's good. That's good. Now, you mentioned earlier, you know, bringing in really a consultant. You said a diversity kind of trainer, but they really ended up playing that consultant role for you. As a consultant, one of the things that I know is for a lot of companies, it's hard to make that decision to bring someone in to help. Um, Now I see it time and time again, the help that a fresh eyes perspective can bring, but it's difficult to do that. When you're talking to, you know, you're talking to leaders who are thinking, you know, hey, I've got a spot in my organization that I'm trying to fix, or I want to make better, or I want to get unstuck. It could be culture. It could be leadership development. It could just be um, a specific place where you're not getting productivity. They want to get it better, but they're scared about bringing someone in from the outside to help. What advice would you give them? I, I heard this. Uh, I heard this recently. I've heard it before, but it, uh, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, get up and leave. Don't stay in the room. So what I would say is, I'm always, I can assure you, I'm never the smartest person in the room and it's okay to ask for help. That's what a lot people, uh, I drive people crazy. I'm always reading business books, improvement books. I'm looking for what I call the silver bullet. And there's really not a silver bullet. There's really not. But when you're willing to continue our desire to be better, continue to learn and always look to improve and realize that everyone needs help. 
everyone on this planet needs help from time to time. There's nothing wrong with asking for help, whether it's about your culture or your core values or just a business problem or question. It's a sign of weakness not to ask for help. Strength is asking for help. That is that is huge. That's gold. That might be one of the best things that I've heard in a, in a jam-packed conversation of value. Um, it's actually a sign of weakness not to ask for help. And I know as a young leader, I struggled with asking for help, but um, thank you so much for that. I got two quick questions, two more, and then we'll go ahead and get off. I know you've got a lot of different things to do today. Um, but Ken, one of them is just for leaders. And then one of them is about culture. So let's start with the culture since we've been talking about the whole time. If you could tell a leader, they said, hey, I just want to start building a healthy culture. And, and that you could only tell them one thing to do, one practical step to take to start moving in that direction. It's a, a quick flyby conversation. What's one um, really thing that you would tell them and you would encourage them just to take one step and it would make their culture better? I would implement what we did four years ago, the 12 questions from the Gallup poll. And I'll show you my favorite question. We added a 13th question. Uh, so uh, I apologize the Gallup poll. Our 13th question was, do you love working at Kelsan? Yes or no, and why? So mm -hmm. comments are optional. So I don't know if you can see the pages of comments, but of the 106 employees that answered, 103 gave comments. Wow. And if you read some of these comments, it just will make your day. Um, he says, yeah, this is just different comments. Yes, they take care of me and everybody else in my company. Absolutely love working at Kelsan. We live our purpose every day. Yes, great people to work with. And most everyone wants everything done right. Yes, there's so many opportunities for the company and me and my career here at Kelsan. I mean, I could go on and on reading these. But you talk about when you're a leader and you get to read responses like this, it really changes you know, how you feel about your company and the organization. And so that's the first thing I would do is I would implement employee mm -hmm. feedback, wow. anonymous employee feedback. That'll help drive your culture. You'll, cause you'll get some negatives to begin with. When we started this years ago, I can tell you that some of those responses were hurtful, mm -hmm. <laughs> but now uh, we, we've, it's made us better. Yeah. Okay. Well, I fibbed cause I hadn't heard your answer to that last question. I said, there was only two more. I'm going to throw in an extra one based on that. Um, Ken, I work with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, okay? But I also work with a lot of nonprofits and faith-based organizations like churches. So from the church that is having employee turnover, when they're they're talking about their, their mission to change the world, to the nonprofit that is reaching in and literally transforming families that have these great missions, right? It almost boggles my mind that sometimes it's those organizations with the greatest built-in mission that struggle most with culture and turnover. When you're leading a company that sells cleaning products, cleaning supplies, and people are bought into the mission hook, line, and sinker, what is it that has people so bought into an organization without a built-in mission? What can churches and nonprofits learn from a cleaning supply company about drawing people to a purpose and a mission? Wow. Well, I would say we struggle. Pur purpose is not easy. And our purpose is actually, you know, our number one core value is love, that we want our customers, employees to love to work with us. We, we read every book about purpose and purpose isn't making a profit or, or, uh, or not making a profit. Purpose is about why are you in business? And we looked at our business and we're like, we're one of the most basic 
we sell cleaning supplies. It's not a glamorous industry, okay? We sell toilet paper, trash can liners, and cleaning supplies. It's not glamorous. But when we thought about it, okay, let's make the best of it. Let's make customers want to buy those from us and love us more than anybody else they could get them from because they have choices. And so what I would say to those churches or those not-for-profits not is figure out what your purpose is. And your purpose is not going to be uh, whatever the mission already is. That's different than a purpose. You're, you got to really figure out, and you can get that from talking to your employees, talking to your fellow coworkers. And when you see a big disconnect, that's when you know you got work that needs to be done. Wow. Well, you're doing a great job with that. Way to go leading the way in purpose from a cleaning supply company. By the way, during the pandemic, there was a time where you all became uh, very popular as everybody was on the run for toilet paper, right? That's right. Uh, all right. So last question, Ken, and I'm so grateful for our time together today. Uh, but I always try to end my conversation with guests on the podcast this way. If you could just give one piece of advice to a leader who says, hey, I, I want to escape average and I want to level up my leadership. I just want to go to the next level. What's one piece of advice that you would give them? Well, I'm going to give you two. Okay. <laughs> Number one is they need to find a mentor in their industry or their line of work that they look up to and ask that person out to lunch and ask for help. Uh, and number two is to, to realize that this is a journey. You're never going to arrive at your destination and always be willing to learn. Um, I don't know if you can see behind me, but there's hundreds of books here and we've read hundreds of more and uh, I drive people crazy with them. But usually you'll get one good nugget out of a book that makes you a better person and or helps make the company better. And so it's all about learning and learning from others. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is good. And it's fair that you gave me too, since I asked you an extra question. And I need to get you a copy of my book. Uh, one, just to hopefully add value to you. But two, I would love your input on it um, as well. Ken, you made me better today. You have made everybody better that has listened. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Why don't you tell our listeners, if they're looking to engage with a company like Kelsan, how can they find out more information about Kelsan and about your products? Yeah, you can just go to kelsan.biz, B-I-Z. We don't do the .com, we do .biz. And there's career opportunities there. There's a plug if you're looking for a job. But there's also everything that we sell and every uh, industry that we're in is on the website as well. So everything you need should be right there. Awesome. Well, Ken, I know I speak for everyone who's listening. You know, the podcast is in 13 plus countries right now, um, all over the United States. And I know that everyone who's tuned in um, they've gotten value from this. So thank you so much for being on the podcast and more so for adding value to us today. Well, thank you for having me. And it's good to see you again. Last time I saw you was right when the pandemic was getting kicked off. So yep. we, we almost didn't have the Knoxville Impact meeting, if I recall. It was iffy, but uh, we had a pretty That's good right. turnout. Yeah. So, That's right. Yeah. Well, glad you're healthy. And uh, thanks again for having me on. All right. Thanks so much, Ken. All right.